practice to remember. You know, that's you know, it's we are going into the same stream. Maybe we feel this just you know, this carries us in a very happy way. But the, the problem is, if you don't have any perspective, if you don't work on that, or don't allow ourselves you know, any perspective, and if you, if you allow ourselves to be swept by that, then when that the nature of that stream of emotional energy changes, as it does, as we probably can all confirm, isn't it, from our experience, then if you're still submerged in there and identified, then of course we go down, you know, um, hopefully not down the drain all <laughs> the way, but you know, then we are, we are in trouble again. And it's because of not having any space around emotions, not really any way in which really to be in a, let's call it provisionally say, appropriate relationship to, to the emotions, you know, just being completely identified, lost in it. But then often the, 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 when, we, you know, when we have this feeling of being on dry land trying to get a handle, then sometimes the, the problem, perhaps in some ways more subtle, not so easily seen, is that we can then go to the other extreme of being a, a bit dissociated actually from the experience of the emotion. And then we think about emotion, no? trying to figure it out. So why is this happening to me? Where is it coming from? And that can of course have some use not to get, it's like getting a, a map, perhaps, and we can try at least to get out a map about, you know, particularly if, if we feel we have to map out some really dangerous terrain here, some swampy ground where we, where we experience in our life again and again, we get lost in the thicket or we, you know, get stuck in a, in a swamp or something. It's good maybe to get some, you know, some, some knowledge about by thinking about it and talking about it. But note that that is, of course, it's one step removed from the experience if you think about the emotion. It's a bit like when we become very good at reading maps. That doesn't yet mean that you know that we have the experience of the walk. You know, a couple of friends were talking to me today about going on a on a walking holiday in the Carpathian Mountains in Romania. And you can prepare a lot and that's useful looking a lot of at, at the maps of where you're going to be walking, but it might actually not prepare you at all. <laughs> for some of the experience that you might actually encounter in the physicality of the walk. It's a total different order. No? Or as Ajahn Chah was always fond of pointing out, you know, studying anger in a book is very different from experiencing anger in the heart. You, know, you can be a theoretical expert on everything about anger in a book and not at all have any clue about practical actually dealing with your anger when it actually comes up, you know, when it hits you, being completely without resources. So there's a, there, there's a gap that needs to be bridged. And um, I find it uh, always very important also to remember that that is, to me, also the Buddha's teachings, the approach of the Buddha is actually addressing that. You know, if you realize, I mean, there's, there's a loads of, of, of volumes of books filled with suttas. You know, there seems to be a lot of theory lists of, of, of things that, that you can, you know, study and learn and, and remember and argue about, have views about, discussions about, seminars about, conferences about. But if you look at them, they are all actually, well, maybe all is an exaggeration, but certainly if you look at the context, they also, the tendency of them is also they're going, the, the core teaching certainly, they always go towards, well, how does this actually apply to our experience? First of all, most of those lists, are, of course, about are not about some supposed metaphysical qualities about you know the nature of the universe, but they are about 
different. They, 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 one thing that made the Buddhist teaching, of course, quite popular, I think, in these days in the West, they're quite psycholo psychological. They're about the mind. They're about the different kinds of emotions, states of mind, wholesome ones, unwholesome ones, which ones to cultivate, which ones not to cultivate, and are dif about different kinds of practices. So they're about practical tools. And even some of those famous lists, which are which you might call analytical ways of slicing up the cake of our reality, of our experience, um, like talking about the six sense faculties no? or the, the five khandhas, the way the Buddha uses them in the discourses when he actually talks to people is not as an abstract teachings about, well, this is how the world is made. You know, so remember this, take this home, then you've got the right kind of idea about you know, how things work. But it's, it's always get the word so... This is a list to help you to analyze and look at your actual experience. So how is this right now? Because the six senses, no, in Buddhism we talk about six senses, not five, because we include the mind, no, which is aware of thoughts, feelings, emotions, images. No? It's something that we're experiencing now, isn't it? You're experiencing all the six senses now. So the Buddha, when he talks about the six senses, and, then he, and you can see that in the suttas if he talks to people, that's what he's pointing at. No? He's not giving them extract constantly says, look at, you know, the, can you verify this now? Look at those six senses. What is your experience of the six, six senses right now? The reality of it, the failed reality of it, the actuality of it. You know? Same with the five khandhas. Where is it, you know, form, feeling, perception, all that. Those are things that are, that, that are operating right now. And the importance is the Buddha is always guiding his, his, his disciples or the people who listen to him to investigate those things in their experience right now. That's what they're supposed to be helping. You know? yes. And the basis for that is, of course, um, mindfulness. That's why it's such a you know, core concept in the Buddhist teaching. Uh, it turns up again and again and, and as a central feature um, of, his, of his passes to, because mindfulness is to bring awareness, presence to your present experience. You know, mindfulness, is, of course, it's not about tomorrow or yesterday or about some abstract concept. Mindfulness is about what's happening now. No? That's where it starts. And you see that in, 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 say, one of those lists, the seven factors of enlightenment, it starts with mindfulness. It's the first one. No? And mindfulness, uh, of course, you can be mindful of, of anything that's, that's happening right now. No? And so you can use, say, the six senses or the five khandhas. I think in our, in our context, for our purpose, the, the important one, the, the one to start with, and where it seems to me almost all you know, the Buddhist presentations of the teaching start with is mindfulness of the body. Isn't it? That's the Satipatthana Sutta, that's the first foundation of mindfulness is, is the body. And you know, there's a whole, whole sutta also about mindfulness of the body, and it's, it appears again and again in the whole, in the whole canon. And it's, of, to me, it seems, of course, for these you know, related reasons. It's through mindfulness of the body. The body is always very obviously our present experience. That is our present experience. Not an abstract concept of the body, not thinking about the body. Mindfulness of the body is, well, how do I know that there's a body right now? Well, I can look at it, of course, but the primary thing is, is the feeling, isn't it? We feel the body. No? That's it's a quality, which is, which is, is has a a richness to it and a vagueness to it. It's very multifaceted. It goes beyond what we can probably 
and properly describe in language. I mean, there's a, lots of stuff going on, no? lots of feeling. And so when we start to practice mindfulness of the body and see, well, wh- what, how does it actually feel to have a body being here? Soon, hopefully, you know, we come in touch not just with the, with the pure, let's say, physical experience of the body, the weight, the, 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 the pressure, the contact, the warmth, but there's a feeling tone to it, isn't it? There's an emotional quality to it. This is the way how it feels to be here right now. And that's very individual. It's very, or sli- certainly slightly different for each one of us right now, the way we feel. We have our very own unique ways of relating to that and perhaps also to, to, to conceptualize it or verbalize it. You know, if I'd ask you or not to give a description about, well, how do you feel right now? You know, it's interesting. In that particular list of the seven factors of enlightenment, it starts with mindfulness. And then the second factor is investigation, investigation of Dhamma. Again, in this context, the way I, I, I'm presenting it, it obviously seems to me it doesn't mean, okay, so first we practice mindfulness of the body and then we move on to investigation of the Dhamma. I mean, so, so now we think a bit about the Buddha's teaching or something like that. No. You know, that this, is, this list of the seven factors of enlightenment, again, it's, it's like a, those are linked factors, it's a progressive way of, of, of development, so they, they, the different factors they build upon each other. So it means we, we start with mindfulness of the body, and then we investigate what we are mindful of. Well, that's the next step, fairly obvious next step. That's, you know, what likes the question. Then I say, well, how, you know, once I'm mindful of the body, ah, here, here we are, this is the body. So what's there? You know, once I'm mindful, then I can investigate it. You know, how does it feel to be here right now? What is actually my experience of the body? To actually start to question that, even to bring up the question. You know? And of course, we can investigate the body in, in many different ways. And then in, the, in the suttas, we find many different suggestions that we can apply, you know, the ways that we can contemplate the body, and there are skillful ways, maybe less skillful ways. You know, we can find out for ourselves what works for us. I'd like to particularly speak about how to use this for investigating on, and, and living and dealing and relating to emotions. Um, so for that, particularly if, and first if we start with talking about emotions that we find difficult, that to me is, a, is from the Buddhist perspective the first and the basic and important step is just to practice mindfulness, awareness of the body, just as such. No? Um, even like I just say in our formal practice when you come here or you go on a retreat or something. The very fact that we practice mindfulness of the body, what does it do? Independently from whatever else we might think we might like to get out of this or we might like to develop or so forth, we just, we just develop a capacity of actually being with the body. I hope it's an experience that you share to an extent. It's something that, that starts to develop. We just learn to actually just be more aware of the body in, in whatever the circumstance. You know, our experience might be you know, just being with the breath or something as one, as one object that we can choose to be with the body. The breath, of course, is, a, is an experience of the body. It's a body that's breathing. It's not particularly interesting most of the time, so the mind will easily wander off, think about this, think about that, worry, plan the future, whatever. But the intention, of course, when we notice and to whatever extent we are capable, 
when we notice it, we leave that to the side, we de-emphasize it, we just bring the awareness back to the body. And little by little, that's, that becomes a, a wholesome, a helpful habit. It's a new habit that's actually quite useful that right? we can develop. So first of all, just to develop actually the, the, the capacity to be more with the body. And that's of course something, at least or, or hopefully something, that then also will kind of spill over you know, outside of a formal meditation uh, situation in our daily lives. That generally we, we, we learn to just to whatever we're doing, even if we're in a conversation or whatever, there's something is always more like uh, in contact, as a feeler kind of, as it were, going down, isn't it? It's from the brain into the, <laughs> the brain is part of the body too, isn't it? But so, you know, staying aware of the body you know, and what's going on there. And that has, can of course have many, many uses, you know, uh, many good uses, but uh, it becomes of course particularly helpful, you know, as a skill that we learn or as a strength that we learn when emotions come up. You know, so difficult emotions. For one thing, we, we might actually detect them earlier. You know? we might start to be able to detect more subtle kinds of feeling. You know, before, you know, it really becomes overwhelming or something. So we can start to be more skillful at noticing what's actually happening. Here's actually, there's actually something happening here. You know, be, be, before we start shouting at somebody, you know, we notice this, something, a process starting off at an, an, at an earlier stage when there's actually perhaps not yet so powerful, and we can actually have still more freedom to actually maybe respond in skillful ways, no? rather than allowing it to just grow within, say, the lack of our attention and only become aware of it when, when perhaps the damage is done. No? I, I do remember quite a long time ago reading in, in a book by somebody called Bo Lozov. I think he specialized on teaching yoga, but then also, I think, meditation and mindfulness to prisoners in the United States. And um, having describing this kind of this development of how people learn, like sometimes, you know, his the, the inmates that would go to his to his courses when they would first describe the experience about, they, they might even kind of deny or not really notice that they felt anger, you know. So, say somebody just got into a fight, just hit somebody, you know, so why, you hit them? Why, why did you hit him, you know, so yeah, because he just, you know, didn't like his face or something, or he said something to me, and he said, well, you did just notice to, that you get, you just got, you know, carried away by your anger with him, I said, no, I, well, I wasn't angry, you know, I just didn't like what he said, so, <laughs> and then, so, the change to the first step, you know, is the first um, step in meditation experience, to actually notice that before I actually hit somebody, there was actually something happening in his experience which he could look, look at in his body, you know, which before, the, you know, maybe he didn't even notice. Ah, all right, so that is anger, is it? Okay, ah, okay, I didn't know that. That's what you meant. So then you can actually start to look, where do we actually feel it? You know, maybe in, in the belly, on the chest, you know. So even that, that first step of recognition, you know, then that means then you can, can actually start, have a start, where you actually can start to take responsibility of it, for it, you know. And then... You know, with, with, with ongoing practice, maybe, you, you start actually detect this earlier. You know, aha, and you, you notice a sign, say a physical sign, and you maybe have a, you start to have an idea where this might be going. You know, so you can intervene a bit earlier than, than you know, having to apologize afterwards <laughs> or go back into solitary confinement again or whatever it is, or feeling guilty or embarrassed or, or so forth. Hmm. 
there was one aspect about this. I just wanted to be a little bit more specific about how we can use this particular inquiry, this emotion, in an embodied kind of way. So remember I started off with these two, if you like, extremes or the two, two ends of the spectrum. You know, that's, that's often what, what, I, what maybe I also hear. You say about listening to the body and you know, getting in touch with your emotions. There can be this fear, well, if I open up to this and I go into this, I'm just, uh, just going to lose control because that might be you know, the experience that I had. So this getting lost in the emotion and then it's just going to carry me to do maybe some damage or, or being, being swept away. Or if I, then I try to avoid this by actually dissociating from it and then having some kind of attitude towards it. Now, maybe often after, when it's too late afterwards, so then, then I think about it or make determinations about it, but I'm never going to go down that road again. And you know how that usually ends up. You know, it's like, like, the, like you know, the, the ca captain making determinations on a rudderless boat, isn't it? It doesn't have any, bear any real reality of having any influence. You know, the boat is doing what it wants anyway, or what's the forces of nature, you know, the ocean or the wind do with it while you're making determinations about, you know, what you think you're going to be doing about it. But it's, the two, two things don't really connect, isn't it? And so the next time um, somebody presses your button, you just failure again, do the same thing. And then you make your determination again or you think a bit more about, you know, why am I doing this all the time? And, but it seemed to be not able to actually get there, not to connect it, not come really to, you know, why, why is it that I can't change these patterns. You know, why are they always taking the, the, the better of me? You know? And to, or together with that, then be reacting to the emotions with further emotions. You know, say maybe I'm, whatever it is, if it's anger or, or, or being afraid, and then I feel embarrassed about being angry or, or, or being afraid. You know? And then maybe I'm, the next thing I notice, then I'm being... I'm being embarrassed, and I think, well, I, I shouldn't really be um, embarrassed about it. I should know better by now and feel guilty about being embarrassed about being um, afraid. And we can kind of go on the kind of this endless kind of chain reactions, which become very convoluted and, 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 and you know, uh, entangled, no? in which we feel we can't disentangle ourselves from that. I think we all have our particular um, versions of that in some way or another, I'm sure. So I think this was this, this approach to connecting mindfulness of the body with investigation of us is a way I feel uh, of bringing mind and body together in the experience. And I think it has to do with, uh, maybe I like to provisionally call, to negotiate the right um, distance you know, to, the, to the feelings, to the emotions. In order, in order to have a relationship with it, there has to be some kind of space. If there's space, then you're caught in it, and you're just acting out, and you're lost in it, and you're swept away. If you're too distant, then you lose connection, you're dissociated, and you're just talking about it, but you can't really, you, you're not connected to the, to the actually feeling, the, the energetic experience of it in the body. So then often the frustrating experience is you can accumulate theories and theories about self-image, about how you are, about how you function, and how that has to do with you know, childhood experiences or maybe past life or what that psychologist wrote about it and what you read about by the other meditation teachers. And very sophisticated, but it, it's just more, more knowledge about it, but it doesn't connect with the experience in a way that can actually affect you. It changed, that you get actually some, feel you get some authority in there.
or some re or some relief. So what we can try, I think, in and first of all in meditation, if you establish the sense of being more aware in our body, we have the possibility first of all to, to then detect and notice our emotions in the body. You know, and see what, what 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 is this actually in terms of my experience? How do I actually feel this? You bring the mind together with the body because you know you, you lose the mind and you're looking in the body. What is, what is this? You know? And at the same time, of not getting lost in it, to establish some kind of resource, like where you can establish a presence, a felt, tangible presence, gives you a bit of space around the emotion. Now it's very true, good and true, perhaps to hear. Uh, of course, it makes perhaps immediate sense if I say, well. If you can be aware of an emotion like anger or fear, then obviously there's, there's more in your experience than the anger or the fear, than the emotion. There's also the awareness of the emotion. Also the awareness of fear is not fear, isn't it? The awareness is just aware of fear. So that's good to know, isn't it? That's interesting. So there's, as I said, that in principle gives us a possibility, and that's the whole idea, of course, that you might have, you know, heard about and perhaps practiced with, with it a lot of time. Well, if I'm starting to feel fear, if I can remember, well, just to be aware, awareness allows me to be with it, no. to, to stop it right there, to just be aware of it, to acknowledge it, so to feel it, so that I don't have to be afraid of my fear, I don't have to try to defend myself or deny it or, or run away from it in some way or another, or do something in order to get rid of it. I don't have to just believe the content of it and act it out in theory. In practice, perhaps many of us know how, how, how weak that can be as a refuge because precisely when an emotional get, emotion gets really strong, the first thing that we perhaps lose is awareness, isn't it? It collapses, as it were, into the emotion. And then it's just, you know, with hindsight, we become aware of what, what happened, but not when it's actually happening. So I think a lot of formal practice can be actually a preparation for when this actually happens, so that we get a bit more resourced. It's a bit like going into the gym or to, to martial arts training. To you, you move through your forms and you learn, so until it becomes second nature. So then, when you're actually in a situation where you know you get attacked, you can apply this what you've learned in the training, isn't it? An interesting thing for me there is in terms of establishing this a more tangible sense of this kind of space around the emotion through awareness in the body is to notice when we bring awareness to, to the body to be aware of the whole body. Notice there's a, there's a whole body there. Most emotions and difficult emotions, of course, they play themselves out you know, in, in the belly and the chest. I mean, we're all slightly different, I guess, but for most of us, probably our knees don't tend to be particularly emotional in that experience, for example. No? And yet we can feel them all the time. And notice what often happens if you don't have a strong, you know, established kind of awareness. When an emotion gets strong, it's like it absorbs our attention and it tracks our attention, just, you know, focuses on that. It sucks us in, as it were, and we lose awareness of anything around it. So it can be very good to consciously 
develop the memory and the, 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 the capacity to notice that there's a whole body always here present. And, and we can actually notice, say, in our body, um, where we feel actually resource, where we feel actually there's some, you know, stability, some part of ourselves, you know, a tangible part of ourselves that is not involved in this emotion. So that we've got actually some place where we can actually put our anchor down, as it were. They have somewhere to stand on. From where then we can, you know, venture into the the emotion and perhaps investigate a bit. So, for example, it could be the the, the feeling of the legs, or the pressure on the floor, or the spine. If you get overwhelmed with grief, for example, usually, like so, for me, grief or something in emotion like that is, is usually in the chest. You know, I feel that gets a bit strong. If I can remember to ask, well, what's actually the feeling in the belly? Now, again, it might be different for you. I really don't know how it is for you. But, for example, you know, I can feel a lot of grief in the chest. But the belly can feel quite spacious and, say, cool or, in that sense, kind of resourced. And then if I, just by paying attention to that, if I just remember that, oh, what's actually the belly doing? Part of my attention sh- you know, it opens up and feels a bit more of myself rather than getting you know, absorbed into the, which might be the tendency into the grief, where the intensity is, that feels ah, a bit more. And then we can actually, without losing contact with, the, say, the feeling of grief in this case, we stay in touch with it, but it's not so overwhelming anymore. No, so that's I mean, this part of negotiating the right kind of relationship. So we are in touch with the emotion, we're feeling it, but we are not completely absorbed into it. We've got some space around it. So if we have established that much, then we can start to investigate. You know, when, we kind of feel, when we come to, in, in our experience to, to a place where we can feel, oh, okay, I'm, fe- I'm, I'm feeling this emotion in my body, but I've got, I've, got, you know, I've got some space around it. So I can basically ask myself, you know, for example, is this, is this actually all right to be with this right now? So if I can come, come to the conclusion, yeah, it's actually all right to be with this right now. It means... You know, I'm, I'm in touch with it, but I've got some space around it. I've got this kind of a workable um, um, connection with it at a workable kind of distance. I'm not overwhelmed. I'm not dissociated. I'm in touch. I'm feeling. And it feels safe enough. You know? that, I mean, that might be all that, that's needed at a time. You know? So then we can just stay with feeling the emotion and just explore that. And we can notice uh, for a start when, when we just... Take, for example, somebody was asking me about paranoia today. So talk about paranoia. I am in talk of paranoia. You know, what do I know about paranoia? I'm not a psychiatrist. <laughs> but you see, paranoia is an abstract concept, isn't it? And it can mean lots of different things for lots of different people, and it can mean lots of different things for me, depending on what kind of context, what kind of dif- and what kind of situation. But the interesting thing is, what it doesn't really matter. We don't have to come actually to a correct definition of the term paranoia or then compare my definition with somebody else. What's important is if I know what is it that's actually what I'm feeling, what I'm labeling paranoia in myself. You know, when, I'm, when, I'm, when I'm inclined to use this term, oh, I think this is coming up again, which, which for whatever reason I, I came to call paranoia. What is it actually? If I feel it in my body, it's probably then a thing that is actually not all that well-defined at all. It has a lot of loose ends and fuzzy edges. And it's, it's uh, connected to all kinds of different things in my particular life that would be necessary, would be very different for 
would be the reality for you if you feel what you would call paranoia. Because our life experiences are all unique. So this is really important to recognize that whenever we use concepts, it's a generalization. If we allow the concepts so through the mind and through the question to just come to the physical experience of it in a listening kind of way, instead of trying to pin it down, it's, it's like more like putting the finger on, on, the, on the pulse of life in the way how it's actually happening and changing all the time without having to have an answer, a correct definition, or, or, or something definite. Well, that's almost like pinning the needle through the, through the butterfly on my board. Or oh, there's a beautiful butterfly. Shame, it's dead, isn't it? It's, because emotions, you know, it's when we are alive, and only when we are alive can we have emotions, they're more like living butterflies, isn't it? They just, they just flutter around. They're very hard to pin down, changing all the time, always metamorphose. Well, much more than butterflies, in fact, they metamorphose one time, isn't it? But emotions are metamorphosing all the time. And it's very difficult to actually, and ultimately I think futile, and not useful actually, to try to freeze them in one particular image. But instead what we're doing is we're actually listening in. So this, for me, as investigation is actually listening in. So using our mind, once we have established awareness in the body, feeling the emotion in the body, actually really keeping track of it, listening, listening in it. And then we use the mind to ask questions which help to keep this listening relationship going, to keep the finger on the pulse. So, what am I actually feeling? How would I describe this to myself? And we don't, we don't go to the mind, we go to the body. You know? Drop the question in there, listen, and then listen. So, what is it that I'm feeling? So, you know, we bring, keep bringing the mind and the body together. The mind listening to the body, then trying maybe to verbalize or maybe bring into images what it is that, we've, that we're finding there. And then we keep checking. Is this actually right? Does this feel right? Is this what it is? Or is it all? Is there more to it? What else is there? You know? And, you know, what is, where am I feeling it in the, in the body? So we, we're starting, if nothing else, you know, we're starting actually to develop more this ongoing very fruitful kind of relationship to our actual emotional experiences. We are actually learning to listen and to find out more and more subtle things going on. And, just, and learning by doing that to stay in touch with that, but staying in touch with this kind of working kind of relationship. You know, and so that's something that we always, always need to check, that we don't start to actually get lost into it. You know, we keep being able to actually move out of it enough so that we can keep kind of some kind of perspective. For that, it, it's useful to have this uh, remembrance of where, okay, there's still there's this going on, I'm interested. Where am I feeling this emotion? But if it comes to strong, so whoa, 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 this is more than I can handle. Okay, I know where I can go back to. There are also still my legs here, my knees. You know, go back and whatever time it takes, you know, until we can feel again, you know, if this is something really difficult, that we can just venture in there a bit and start to actually try to get into a relationship. That it can start to actually talk to us. So what is this? Then we can start questions about it. So what is this you know, paranoia actually about? What is the whole feeling about it? Or why it is so difficult? What is underneath it? What is behind it? You know, asking questions that are not designed to go back to our memory store about all the stories that we already know about it, but they're consciously going into the area where we, where we don't know, but where we want to, you know, little by little, maybe perhaps try to find out a bit more. You, know? you remember, as the Buddha said, 
if suffering is there, that it's there because there's a cause of suffering. And if you want to remove the suffering, we have to get to the cause of suffering. It's when we remove the causes of suffering, then also the suffering will cease with it because the cause of suffering has been removed. Well, that's why in, in, the, in the Buddhist perspective, freedom from suffering comes through wisdom, comes through investigation. So the first step, we have to learn to get and stay in touch with what the suffering is. And then we have to learn, perhaps you know, slowly, to go underneath it and get to the causes. And this can, of course, ultimately be in very general causes, you know, sense of self and all that kind of things, not seeing impermanence. But it also applies to this perhaps more concrete things, where particular emotional patterns that keep coming up in our lives that we feel kind of like victimized by, you know, that always seem to run our life rather than ourselves feeling a freedom to emotionally respond in a skillful way. We feel we keep reacting emotionally in unskillful ways. Well, I mean, if there's a pattern like they are there, it's there because there are causes. And possibly we, we know that, well, we, we, we haven't fully understood the causes. Perhaps we think we have a theoretical understanding, but that might not even be complete. So we haven't yet really, a, a, and perhaps an experiential understanding. There might be a lot of things there that we don't um, know yet. I think you haven't had any access to it. But interesting enough, certainly in my experience, it's a lot of, say, our, our emotional conditioning, and that means also the causes of our emotional conditioning that keep our emotional patterns in place are stored in some way in the body. No, a very obvious way, and you can see this often, it can be in, in bodily posture. You know? if, you're, if you're very depressed, it expresses itself in body posture. You know? You're looking different physically when you are elated or something like that. You know, there's also more, you know, that can be this one indication, you know, I don't want to oversimplify, but also in other ways. And that we notice when, when we do get underneath something, we notice something. You know, if you've got this aha experience, you put a question, oh, what is this all about? What's underneath this? And maybe most of the time, nothing's going to happen. You know, just don't know. Okay, fair enough. Just be patient. Just stay with it. You know? That old Burmese advice, more practice is necessary. You know? So just stay with it. Listen a bit more. Be patient. Or just the mind comes, oh, yeah, what's underneath it? It's this and that. And that. Oh, yeah, okay, thank you, mind. You know, we know that already. But we just want to investigate the, the lived experience. So we just keep being in there. Come up with different questions. Find your own questions. And be willing to stay with not knowing, but inviting knowledge. You know, I really want, I, I want to know. I don't know, except I don't know, but I want to know. So I keep feeling, feeling this, keep establishing the right relationship, you know, not being carried away with it, not dissociating, staying with it and you know, feeling it, asking questions, seeing. And maybe one day suddenly you get this, aha, something new is coming up. And if it's something new, it's always going to be a surprise. That's the first thing that you notice. It might be something that's somewhat familiar, but in a different kind of perspective. And it's interesting that often doesn't come in the way that, well, it's a surprise. It doesn't come in the way that you expect. It might be suddenly something verbalized. It's something you hear yourself saying something to yourself, which surprises you. Or an image comes up, which might be in the first place, like unrelated, or a memory. What has this to do with my feeling of paranoia? It doesn't seem to have anything. Well, ask the question, well, what has this to do with that feeling of paranoia? It doesn't seem to have anything, but then suddenly, aha, maybe there's a connection. You say, ah, oh, wow, that is what it is. You know? And 
you know, perhaps you know, not, you have noticed when something new like that comes in, and it, and it is really new, and it comes in this kind of felt kind of way, and something shifts in your whole experience, in your whole experience how you feel this kind of emotion, this kind of problem. No, so it's not just something that is a new idea in your head, but it, it also feels differently in the body. That's usually experienced. It can be a subtle, subtle shift, or can be quite dramatic. And that doesn't, of course, necessarily mean that then, okay, you've cracked it, you know, <laughs> oh, this is a shift and gone is the fear or something, I'm never going to feel it again. But it might just be that, that you suddenly find a different way of relating to that. Maybe you just feel a little bit more space around, a little bit more relaxed, you know. Or you, you, you suddenly see, you just see a different context and you see, ah, you suddenly there's a different avenue that opens up for you in, in the way that you can maybe skillfully relate to it. You know? And sometimes might be that you get in touch with a whole different range of emotions that actually underlie a certain kind of pattern that you have. You, know, you might investigate your anger and suddenly after being with, with your anger and just sitting with it and questioning it and then let's say suddenly in one session and often those things come, of course they come totally as a total surprise. You ask maybe your standard question again and then suddenly your whole scenario comes up that you let's say from your childhood or whatever that is associated with that. And you just get all those images of situations where you're feeling helpless. And you say, oh, helplessness, anger. And then, ah, you know, suddenly, you, you, suddenly, perhaps, I mean, you're making this up, of course, of course. <laughs> so you make the first time perhaps a connection that this has been a, a pattern that has been established in my life. Whenever I feel helpless, you know, then I got angry. Rationally quite understandable reaction because feeling helpless is probably for most people even worse than feeling angry. You know, nobody likes feeling helpless. And one reaction can, of course, be then we get angry about it. You know? And of course, with anger, at least you can feel like you, know, you can do something. You know? And of course, you know, particularly if you're a six foot tall, kind of broad lad, then if you get angry, you can move a lot of things. <laughs> it can be quite a successful strategy, apparently, at least for a while. You know? um, but it, that's, this, of course, is, it bears a direct relationship when you're talking about causes, you know, conditions, and the outcome. Then when I actually get in touch with, there's actually underneath my pattern of anger, there's a feeling of helplessness. Of course, it could be something totally different. This is just an example. Then I actually start to realize I actually need to address these feelings of helplessness you know, in order to get a, a handle on, on my, my patterns of anger, for example. So it gives you a totally different perspective and suddenly a totally different strategy and, and of you know, how you, you relate to your experience. And this is usually not a way, not, not a place where you get through just thinking about your emotions because necessarily you're just always going to go back to an information that you already have. You know. But you can sometimes go through, get through this through actually questioning the experience of your emotion directly and allowing it to unravel you know, a bit you know, in your actual real-time experience, you know, keeping that finger on the pulse. That's a, it's a powerful magic of what awareness can actually do. I would just say from experience, and, and certainly from other people's experience, but just by paying attention to something you know, that is actually alive right now, manifesting in experience, that it's like you're putting something into, a, you know, some dried-up kind of crumpled thing into, into a bucket of water, and it starts to actually unfurl open up because you're giving it attention. You know. Perhaps the first time that you're probably listening to something. Right? Is another good question that you can ask something that you feel you're stuck with or something, you know. 
what would what would actually be helpful to make this feel all right? Or ask that emotion or that feeling directly, you know? Is it something that you that you need, that I can do for you? It might be an un, a way of relating to experience that we're not used to, but just suggesting this as, as a practical tool to you know, try it out. It might actually start in some way or another start to speak to you, and you might be quite surprised, you know? And give you a total different way of relating to the kind of, of experience. Because we're we, we, we relating to our own experience also a lot from habit and assumptions. And sometimes just by asking a question, the whole thing can suddenly, you know, why actually? No. Even the question like, is this actually all right to just be with this right now? You know, I've, I've personally experienced it with people and then suddenly think, oh yeah, actually it is all right. Never thought about it like this way. You always assume this is not all right. So I'm going to have to do something about it. But when you actually ask yourself, but for the first time, when you actually with experience, feeling, well, actually, actually it's okay. You know, maybe it doesn't feel great, but it's actually okay. And that opens the door, doesn't it? Because then you're not reacting to it anymore from an assumption. And then suddenly you've got the possibility, oh, I can just be with this. And then you can start to be creative. All right, okay. So I can just be with you. And if I can just be with you, then I maybe can start talk with you. Maybe you're going to start talk back. No? The same in, in relationships with other people. You know? it's, it's the same. In the, it applies actually in the way we relate to ourselves. Mm. We talk a lot to ourselves, I think, just in here. No <laughs> but often we actually neglect talking to you know, our felt experience in the body, so that can be quite you know, a skill to develop. This fits is basically an, an, an the way of interpretation of what would be could be mindfulness and investigation of the body. Um, but um, the first time I came across this in this in this kind of conceptual kind of framework was actually through um, through a, a, a professor of psychology called Eugene Gendlin, I think this is, I think you pronounce his name, an American professor of psychology at the University of Chicago who in the 1970s did a field study on what actually makes therapy work. Now, by the 1970s, it's of course quite a bit past uh, the, the original the, you know, days of Freud and Jung. A lot of different techniques of uh, psychotherapy had been developed, particularly of course in, in the United States, and different schools which were kind of competing with each other, you know, who's got it right, who's got it wrong, you know, which, whose thing is actually working, and, and so forth. And while they said, well, just put those to the test, what, what does it actually make them work? So they actually, they taped, I think, a large number of first sessions of, of therapy with, with across the whole kind of, you know, different fields that were on offer. And then put all those on, onto one bag, as it were, and then uh, again um, asked, I think, at the end of, or after half a year or whatever, uh, for the term of, of, of the therapeutic uh, work was, interviewed, I think, both the client and the therapist about their assessment of the success of, the, of that particular therapy. And then they compared you know, whether they could actually find something in the original, in the first session, that would somehow be indicative of whether this was going to be successful or not. And to their surprise, actually, they, they did find something which was seemed to be completely independent from the particular school of therapy. They had to do with the fact of whether the client was actually able, 
either the client himself or whether it seemed likely, obviously, that the therapist was able to convey a way of relating to their emotions, to the problems, in which the client would not talk about their emotions or problems, but would talk from the experience of their emotions. So I said, oh, that's interesting. So that seemed to make actually a decisive difference. And so he studied this a bit more and, and kind of distilled it into this kind of technique, you know, which he called focusing. You know, some of you might have heard about it. And it's a little bit about what I described before. He's a bit more t technical about, you know, five different steps about how to work with emotions. And, but, of course, the important thing is also to say he, he didn't claim that he invented this technique. He was just kind of synthesizing, as it were, something that you can see that people do um, anyway, and some people are better at it than others. But it's, it's a skill, and that's the important thing that one can actually learn, and, and this is basically what I'm, I try to uh, present. And I'm also mentioning that because I know sometimes in spiritual circles, you know, that sometimes there's a certain kind of view, I hope that's not particularly ingrained with you, where kind of you know, psychology or therapy is kind of put down, it's just like kind of psycho bubble, sometimes you heard this term. You know, there, there can be, of course, a tendency, and I think sometimes it gets exaggerated, it becomes a narcissistic kind of preoccupation. Of course, you can endlessly, our minds and our motives are so richly complex um, that we can endlessly, of course, refine it and find more neuroses to work on and sort ourselves out and become really experts in all our kind of what makes us tick and it can be another way of losing really perspective on it and not seeing the bigger picture you know, about which is more emphasized by say dukkha anicca anatta isn't it? just to look at it in these basic terms but we can make the opposite mistake I think uh, somebody co coins this term for it, which is called spiritual bypassing where we kind of pretend that this doesn't need to concern us because I'm on a more advanced, I'm on a spiritual path, I'm beyond all this, this old personality stuff because I'm interested in not-self. I'm just, I'm just aware of what's I'm just going beyond. Which is unfortunate because that can just be a, a nice idea but which is not actually reflecting our actual reality, a bit like this captain on the sh rudderless ship, isn't it? That you have the idea of, oh, you're just, you're just aware of this and you just watch your mind and just don't make anything out of it. Then, in your actual experience, that is exactly often what we cannot do. Because if some of those, let's call them emotional hang-ups or patterns, have so much power and energy, that's, you know, as I try to describe a bit, what they do is they make actually collapse our perspective, our awareness. We keep getting entangled in it. And we, are, we are objectively, obviously, stuck in there and suffering about it. So we might as well take the opportunity to, to get more smart about it and how to get wise about it to investigate. And, and if, if you do that, then we might be able to actually, there is actually a real possibility of shifting you know, at least some of those patterns. It doesn't mean that we need to sort out you know, all of our you know, emotional problems. But it, it can be quite helpful, as, as hopefully you've experienced, you know, to, get, you know, to be able to shift some of those. Suddenly you start to feel actually much more light and, and unblocked and more avail available emotional, you know, for your life, less afraid of feeling, because there's an objective, more competence. And even if you don't feel that you, sh you solve your neurosis or, you know, shift those, you're starting to get actually much more in-tune relationship, skillful relationship to it, you know, that finger on the pulse, that you actually notice what's going on. And that itself, of course, then leads you to a, a enhanced capacity of, noticing feeling that actually 
ultimately, is this actually all right? No, you can actually just be with it. And that's, I think, an important thing then always to remember, to come back to. No, if we do, you know, at periods in our life where we maybe have strong, we feel we've got emotional problems you know, to work with, to remember and to, to, to remember to come back to this thing, you know, when you can I actually just come back to just this is okay right now? You know, can I just go back, just be with this, and just see? It is an emotion. That's what it is. There's nothing wrong with it. Sometimes it feels very good. Sometimes it might not. But I can just be aware of it. That's of course always the. To me, that's the idea. That's the, the place. There's whatever kind of specific work we do, where to incline towards and where to arrive at and try to arrive at as a place where we can come to the sense of resolution. It's not might not be gone, so there, but yeah, we had a place where we say, "Oh, this, this is all right. It's okay. I don't have to make a problem out of this. I can handle this." Everybody, you know, on this planet has their particular problems, physical problems, emotional problems. You can accept that, and I don't have to let that get in the way into the way of my um, responding um, to life in, in, in a skillful. Um, Creative kind of way, and that's that's I think what what we can call kind of the develop development of a. Um, I think some Buddhist psychologist Daniel Goleman I think called coins this term of emotional intelligence. You know? I haven't read his book, so I don't know whether I can commend his ideas that he put. But I really like that term of developing this emotional intelligence, which means that we start to de develop this skill in which we can actually emotionally respond to life in ways that are skillful, that are helpful, rather than keep reacting you know, from patterns that are, that are unhelpful. And that, I think, is a very inspiring and wonderful way of being free. You know, not being free from feeling, you know, not, not feeling of not feeling anything, being, being free from suffering by not feeling any pain, but freedom to feel, you know, without fear of emotions, without fear of feeling, without restriction, so that we can actually feel life more fully, more completely, without being afraid and then respond to life with emotional intelligence. So I'd like to offer that for your reflection tonight.